Welcome. This is Stephen Lee, and this is Life and the Living of It. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about why the church, lowercase c, is dying. Or I can call it, the church is dead, long live the church. Now, when I talk about the church with a lowercase c, I'm talking about your church, my church, a church, the church on the corner, the church next to the taco stand. It is the one instance of a building and a congregation. That's the lowercase c church. When talking about the church with a big C, I am talking about the body of Christ gathered together in all nations and peoples on planet Earth. The big C church is when God interacts with us to fulfill God's will. These two definitions will come in handy as I go on. Now, when I talk about the decline of the church, I'm not talking about the big C church. I am talking about the small C churches because when we say decline, we look at the number of active congregations, the number of active buildings holding a congregation, the declining number of baptisms, the declining number of marriages within these churches. In fact, anytime we try to apply standard metrics to the church, it is always referencing the church with a small c. It is almost impossible to measure how successful or not the church with a big c is, because the church with a big c doesn't need membership roles and buildings and baptism numbers and wedding numbers. The church with a big C is the work of the Spirit, the outcome of the Spirit, and can only be measured by the Spirit. And in that sense, the church with a big C has never declined, at least not in the ways that we human beings can measure it. It is not in danger of disappearing, because the outcome of the big C church is entirely 100% dependent on God. Having said all of this, let's talk about the decline of the church with a small c. First of all, the churches in the 40s and 50s and 60s when they were built, churches represent so much more than they do today. In some ways, they were the only gathering place of moral and upright individuals. And yes, I say that with a little bit of irony. It was a social place that you could find your daughter a husband or find your son a wife. You would catch up on the news on Sundays. You would renew those social ties. Your philanthropy and generosity and giving were done at the church. A lot of your social activities were done at the church. A lot of the psychological counseling happened at the church. A lot of the economic planning, the rules for living, the foundation of communities was usually centered around a church or two or three. Deaths, burials, and services were done through the church. The remembrance of the dead, the birth of babies. Churches were the repositories of the history of the community. Churches provided education that was unavailable in public schools. Churches also provided private education. And churches were a place that families could be together, strengthening family bonds, Churches gave a continuity and a sameness and a predictability to the communities in which they resided. Now, because the churches used to do all of this, and for many of these, were the only source in which these things could happen, 
the assumption became you could build a church and plan activities within that building and you could automatically assume 20 to 30 percent participation from the congregation right off the bat. You could build a church and then starting in the 80s and the 90s and up to today, other social constructs started replacing what the church used to be the sole provider for. Jobs became not just the 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, but jobs started demanding weekend time and Sunday time. The blue laws started being repealed and businesses were open on Sundays. And then games started being held on Sundays. And so the youth who had Sundays off from everything and the parents who used to have Sundays off from everything found themselves having their Sundays filled. And the choices for entertainment and interaction with people grew from multimedia to the introduction of the internet to spontaneous communication and peer groups meeting online. The explosive growth of news as entertainment and sponsored news gave us information. So the church was no longer the source of moral information. We had an information overload. The social media platforms started replacing our need for connection that used to happen primarily within our churches. Then there started to be scandals coming out of the Roman Catholic Church and then other churches, and the confidence in the role of the church started waning. And when in the 90s and the early 2000s, the church found itself in competition with all of these other sources and going into survival mode, they turned to the way of doing things that the rest of the world was doing. The churches developed a commercial model. And the commercial model says, if we provide services, people will buy the services. If we create unique content, people will come. If we give them the best deal for the money, they will enter the churches again. And what did we find? This did not happen. And so we have to ask ourselves why this commercial consumerism model of the church didn't work and isn't working. I think it boils down to expectations. The commercialized church gives us a set of expectations that we're not going to give to the church unless we get from the church what we want from the church. And so I have to ask some questions like, what does the church mean to you? What are the expectations you have for the church? When in your life do you expect the church to step in or do you expect it to step in at all? How important is the church in your life? Does the church even fit into the top five priorities? of your life right now. And like me, if you've truthfully answered these questions, the church probably isn't as important to you as it was 10 years ago or 20 or 30. But correctly, you may say, wait, wait, the church does still have a purpose. In fact, the church with a small c has a lot of purposes. Right now, the most prominent one is, though right now, the primary congregants are in their 60s and 70s and 80s, the ones that give the most money to the church and allows the church in whatever form it is now to survive are in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And often when surveys are taken about these populations, it's not that they think the church is a primary source of their faith or personal growth or discernment. A lot of the answers are because it's traditional. 
because it's a place where they can see their friends, catch up on news, and in some way live their life at a slightly slower speed than the speed of change that's happening around them. So in some ways it's a social oasis. They see those around them that look and feel and believe pretty much like they do. And there is comfort in that. However, by addressing only this 60, 70, and 80 group and providing the traditional church for these people, the church will become smaller and smaller and the attendance will die off simply because this group is dying off. And the addition of new members as they age staying in the church is also declining. But those that remain are shaping the church to meet their needs. Even though it is the church, the golden rule still remains. They who have the money make the rules. Or should I say, shape the services that the church provides them. So what mission does the church with a small c have? Essentially, and in the very beginning, the church with the small c, the corner church, the church in the strip mall, the church in the middle of town, should have the same mission as the church universal, the church with the big C. Now, most of this comes from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this is really the vision statement, the how behind the mission of the church. And then the mission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So if we use Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and Matthew 22, 37 through 40, to spell out the vision and the mission of the church, then we have to acknowledge a few things. First, it has to start with loving God. God is the focus. Our relationship with others reflect our relationship with God and vice versa. The second assumption, therefore, is the church must not only teach about, center around, and worship God, but we must teach our identity as children of God and also the responsibilities and blessings that come from being children of God. To super simplify this, if God loves us unconditionally, through God in the Holy Spirit, we seek to love others as best as we can. And we do this gathering together, worshiping God, learning about the Bible, promoting and enabling us to love one another. Now people talk about a renewal of the church, but no renewal happens without identifying that God loved us. We love God, and God helps us love one another in and with communities of faith in which we learn to love God better and learn to love one another better. It seems simple. It really does when it's spelled out like that. But it causes us to ask the questions, is what we're doing at this particular time with the church is it about loving God? Is it about loving other people? Is it about building our capacity to love? Is it about increasing in faith so we may love our neighbor better? Is it about um, improving the community in which the church resides? 
notice that I have not talked about ministry geared towards preserving the small C churches. And this is on purpose. I am talking about ministry geared toward building the body of Christ, the big C church. And this is really where the conflict comes in about the consumerism church. For example, if we change up the way that we worship and we throw in a lot of extraneous things that don't have to do with loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving ourselves, and don't reinforce our identity in Christ, but are gimmicks or entertainments to get people in the seats, if that becomes the focus, and I'm not saying here that entertaining isn't good and that sometimes mixing things up isn't good, but if the purpose of holding worship service or holding Sunday school or doing any other activity in the church, if its primary purpose is to get more people in seats and more people giving offering, it has to be examined. Those are survival-based changes. That's providing the audience what it wants to see and hear and experience so that the church might get paid, a.k.a. offerings. I think we forgot that God creates the increase. And a corollary to that is if what we're doing in our church is causing fewer and fewer people to show up, even though we're increasing the entertainment factor and the variety factor and the dynamic factor, if God creates the increase and we are not increasing, perhaps we need to be focused on something else, like getting back to the roots of why the church exists in the first place, to equip the saints of God for the service of God. The best evangelical act that we may do is not drawing people to the small C churches. The best is to be faithful in showing Christ, through the help of the Spirit, the love of God to those around us. Now, it may seem that I'm very cynical, and maybe I don't think any small C churches are actually working out. But I do want to give you a few examples of what I think some small C churches are doing that are in line with the big C church, the body of believers, the body of Christ. I know one lady that has done nothing but go visit one shut-in on Sundays, and every Sunday she visits another shut-in. She and that person have their little church in their kitchen or dining room or patio, she shows up simply showing love and kindness and service, seeing them and listening to them and sharing love with them. It is the church with a small C and all of its simplicity and simple kindness. And I have to ask, will this one lady bridge the many schisms in Christianity? Will she call for reformation and repentance? No. But for the shut-in man or woman, my friend represents Christ in their lives. In her tiny churches in kitchens and dens, she carries with her the big C church. I've also seen congregations working at the Ministry of Reconciliation, of becoming more open and more welcoming and more inclusive of those different than themselves. They are working to resolve conflict and build connections between different people. 
And in this, they are doing the mission of the church. I know a group that goes out on the streets and shares food and fellowship with the homeless, and they help them get into programs where they can find a job or get a bank account or get on their feet or find housing or find medical care. And in this, they are bringing hope and fellowship, and they are the arms and feet and hands and heart of Christ to the disenfranchised and the marginalized and the ignored and the pushed aside. And they are doing the work of the church with a capital C. And every time two or more people gather and love is their focus, and service to one another is the vehicle in which they show that love, that is the small c church doing the will of God. So when I say the church is dead, long live the church, perhaps some manifestations of the church with a small c have to die out or remain for that one particular population in which they serve. While other churches whether it is street ministry or coffeehouse ministry or get-togethers or political rallies or social workers and community leaders and religious leaders getting together, trying to make the lives of those around them a little easier, working for rights for everyone, working for clean water and good food and medical care and representation for those that are marginalized, and the 501Cs and the small organizations and the groups that help one another, that help communities to make life easier. In all that I see around me, I think these churches are growing. These manifestations of the Big C Church are becoming more pervasive. These are the vineyards of ministry that have never shriveled, but have always grown. And while they cannot be measured in hard metrics... They are bringing about the kingdom of God, one loving encounter at a time. And this is life and the living of it.